All right, friends, let us bow together for a word of prayer. Almighty God, in the midst of the storms of our life and the craziness of all that we encounter and the all that we create, in the midst of uh, storms that friends and neighbors and family are uh, undergoing right now in Florida and other places of the world, in the midst of uh, storms that are taking human life, taking human freedom, in the midst of the storms inside our own souls as sometimes we struggle with doubt or fear or shame or confusion, in the midst of all of that, you are God. You do not change. You always have loved. You always do love. You always will love. It is you who has given us your Son, in coming to us to show us the way into abundant and eternal life. You are with us now in the power of your Spirit to calm the storms and to bring light and hope and goodness and peace and strength and courage and love into us so that we might share it with others. Bless and be with us as we open your word for the sake of Jesus, who is the Word among us. Amen. Okay, are you enjoying Genesis? Yes, some of you have read it before, right? That's good, that's good. Let me give you a couple of words about today's passage, and then I'm going to read it for us. Sometimes we won't read all of the text because it's quite a lot of text, but this is one that is very important for us to have in our heads. And the one thing I want to say about this is that you think you know what the story is about. And you do, but you don't. How many of you have the experience of having watched a movie or read a book, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 years ago, and then you watch the movie again and read the book again, and there are things in it that you didn't see before that you didn't remember? Have you had that experience? We all have that experience. And so when we come back to a scripture passage, especially one that is so familiar as this one, we need to remember that even though we know part of the story, there's part that we've forgotten and part that we have not understood and part that perhaps we will understand differently as we hear from each other, as we hear from God, and as we bring who we are today to the story. Does that make sense to you? How many of you have a different perspective on life than you did when you were six years old? <laughs> oh, I was tempted to say, Ruth, or when you were 60 years old, but I'm not going to say that, right? Right? We change, and so we come to the story. It's not that the story changes, but we change. So keeping those things in mind, let's read together Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16. Now the man knew his wife Eve. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. East of Eden. You've heard that phrase before, haven't you? Great book. Was it Steinbeck? Did Steinbeck write that? Yeah. And then a movie. Am I my brother's keeper? How many of you have thought that to yourselves? <laughs> that ain't my problem, <laughs> right? Those are two classic examples of where the words of Scripture have crept into our culture, and a lot of people these days can't even identify where they come from. You can. So, what are we going to say about this? Let's make sure we understand where we are in the flow of the story. God has created all things and said that all things are good, especially the human things that He has created. He says they're very good. God has created humanity, but humanity becomes estranged from God. The first part of the conversation in Genesis is about God and us, what some people identify uh, visually as a, the vertical relationship, right? Now, we know that God is beneath us as well as above us and in front of us and behind us and in us, but thinking in the old-fashioned terms of God is above, right? Now, the next story, this story of Cain and Abel, focuses not on the relationship so much between God and humanity, but it begins with a conversation about the relationship among human beings, brother and brother. Does that make sense to you? It's easy to miss these major, major pillars or points of the story, but that's the, the framework, in a sense, of the story itself. Now, as the story goes on, let's note just a few things. And remember, you can ask a question or make a comment at any time. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve now fulfill one of their original purposes. Their purpose, partly, is to procreate. They do that. Of course, as the story is told, Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. And then later on, we're going to find out that Cain and Abel get married, and people ask the question, who did Cain and Abel marry? Did they marry their sisters? 
And we have to remember that this story is a theological story. It's not a historical story, necessarily. It's not a scientific story, necessarily. Science didn't come along for a long, 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 long time, and that's something we invented. It's a story that tells us deep truths, but if we push the story to tell them in ways that we might think is credible today, then we will do a disservice to the story and we'll actually miss the point. Does that make sense? Okay. So, notice that when Adam and Eve fulfill one of the reasons that they were created, the reason we're created is not just to make more of us, but that is one of the reasons we're created, and if we don't do that, then we're done, right? And Eve says, what does Eve say when she has babies? I have, I have created a man, right? God created human beings, and now Eve and, and Adam are involved in the process of creating human beings, but they can't do it by themselves. She does it with the help of God, with the help of God. Everything still stems from, comes from, is born from the power of God. So, Cain and Abel are born. Cain and Abel. The name Cain, this is all in your notes, by the way. The name Cain means to get, Adam and Eve got a son, or to create, they created a son. That's what Cain means. Abel means vapor or nothingness. Vapor or nothingness. Some of you want to change the names of your children. This is my beloved child, and I've named him nothingness. <laughs> Not recommended. I have a cousin named Abel. Great guy. Okay? Names often tell us something about who the people are. Now, Cain and Abel embody, in a sense, what are the two primary occupations. There are people who derive their living from out of the ground by being farmers, and people who derive their living from out of the ground by being shepherds. Now, if you are from the United States of America, or perhaps Canada, you think of shepherds and raising sheep as a, a secondary occupation to raising cows, right? And the classic conflict in all those old westerns that have shaped our theology and our anthropology is about the conflict between the ranchers and the farmers. Sometimes you'll get the shepherds and the ranchers against each other. In this culture, in this context, they ain't no cows. Okay, for the most part. So it's the shepherds and the farmers. Some people see in this story an older story that tries to explain why shepherds and farmers are always at each other, right? Why would shepherds and farmers have reason for conflict with each other? Why is that? The sheep come and eat the, eat the, eat the crops, right? That's a problem. That's a problem. The farmers want to stake off their area and not let the sheep come in. It's pretty simple. Okay, so there may be something in this story uh, that goes back to older stories in that way. But then, of course, it becomes a much, much larger story, right? Shepherds tend to be nomadic. They move around because they have to take their flocks different places, right? so that they have something to eat. Farmers tend to be sedentary. They settle down in one place, right? Now, in the story, 
Neither one of those occupations, lifestyles, is given primacy or value over the other. They just are. They just are. And both brothers then, both brothers bring an offering to God. There's a stewardship sermon in here, or several stewardship sermons. So Adrian and Amanda are going to pass the plates now, and <laughs> right? Both of them bring an offering to God, and a problem ensues. The Lord accepts one offering and not the other offering. Now, why do you think that happened? Let's get the microphones going here for just a second, okay, ladies? Think about it for just a second and give me a reason for why God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's offering. Okay, there we go. We got a hand. If you want to speak, we got a hand up right here, Catherine. Catherine, okay, there, but we're going to go there first. Okay? Okay. Um, I think it's because the one offering was the first fruits mm -hmm. and the other was just when they got around to it. Aha. Okay. Okay. You could get that sense from the text, right? The text doesn't obviously say that, but that's a possibility. Good possibility. Who else has the microphone here? Uh, same thing? Okay. Why else? Why else? Any ideas? Any ideas? Yes, we got more hands. Get the microphones to the hands. We're going to go to the first one. There. Well, maybe because um, Abel had to kill something that maybe he loved in order to sacrifice it to give it to God, where Cain had grown it, and it was just something that he was, there's going to be a lot more of it. Something. Okay, okay. There's an interesting thought. Yeah, there's, it doesn't say that in the text either, but that's, a, that's, this is how we engage with the text, is to think what's behind everything. Yes. Right here. Hi. Hi. Um, I don't know why that happened, but I have a lot of trouble with it. It uh -huh. seems like the grumpy recipient of a gift they didn't like as well as somebody else. I, I, I don't understand why he would do that. Okay, okay. Maybe I'm not supposed to. <laughs> good, good. Another, yeah, hold up your hand if you think you're going to say something. That's dangerous. I shouldn't have said that. Yes. Well, I also think it could be the state of the heart of the person. Uh-huh. Where he Abe, where Cain was doing it more because he had to. Uh-huh. And Abel was doing it through the love that he wanted to show God. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. is why you usually give the best of the best. Um, because you want it to be not only appreciated but it's in your heart to do that. Okay, okay. Yeah, you can, you can maybe kind of see that. The fact is the text does not explicitly say why God took one and didn't take the other. And all of the reasons that you've given are plausible explanations in some sense, but the story does not tell us. And so we can't make the story tell us what's going on in Cain and Abel. And we are left then with your problem. And it's not just your problem, it's our problem. It seems that God has no reason whatsoever, necessarily. Well, I'll take this one, I won't take that one. And I would propose to you that that's part of the way life is. Have you ever said to yourself, that's not fair? Stomping out of the room when you're six years old and you don't like what mom or dad has just told you to do, right? And there are still people stomping out of the room. It's not fair. This is partly a commentary on just the way life is. 
and, and it seems unfair. Now, behind all of that, we have that original story that God made everything, God created it all good, God always has a reason, we don't always see what the reason is. And that, that's something that we struggle with, because every single one of us wants to tell God how He could do it better. Don't we? Don't we? I had a long conversation yesterday on the phone with a guy who wants to tell God how to do it better. Um, I, and that, you know, that's not strange. That's not strange. What we are given, though, is this information that God accepts one offering, does not accept the other offering. And there are lots of things to think about. You know, it, it could well be that, that Cain was kind of a begrudging giver and Abel was happy to be a giver, right? Scripture tells us later God loves a cheerful giver, right? It could be that, that, that uh, Abel's offering was the first fruits of his flock. It was the choice stuff. And, and Cain just took some of whatever was left over at the end of the year and said, well, that's what I can give to God. I can preach 82 stewardship sermons out of this based on all the excuses that I have given and a few that you've given me for why we don't give to God. At any rate, we don't know exactly what was going on. And the focus of the story shifts very quickly to talk about Cain's response. Comment. Okay, if I, have I got this on? Yes, get it closer to your mouth, please. <clears throat> There's one other possibility that's out there that occurred to me. Mm -hmm. There's a, a long tradition in uh, human society of two kinds of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You had peoples who sacrificed to a corn god, and you also had people who sacrificed animal life of varying kinds mm -hmm. to different gods. And it, it may be a commentary, and again, not in the text, mm -hmm. but it may be a commentary on the preference of a flesh offering over a vegetable one. Yeah, yeah, could well be, could well be. I mean, it is a point well taken that, that you know, that Abel takes another living creature and sacrifices the life. That's a bigger deal, you know, than, than cutting some grain or whatnot. Although, do you remember, what is that movie? Maybe it's Notting Hill or Love. Actually, it's one of those um, where Hugh Grant has a date that's set up for him with a woman. I forget what she called herself, but, but she considered the act of harvesting vegetables as murdering them. Uh, and so he looks up at her at the table and says, so these carrots that, am I, that I'm eating have been murdered. She said, yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, I may be wrong about that. And if you feel that way, that's fine. But I, there is a sense in human society that taking life from a creature as opposed to a plant is a bigger deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can see how there's all this stuff here in there, okay? Now, let's, let's move just the, oh, oh yeah, you guys want to talk. Good, we're going to go there and then we're going to go there. I had, I'm just curious, when did sacrifice begin? When did sacrifice begin? This Before, is the first thing we know about it, right? Right. This, I mean, in the story, this is the first we know about it. We don't really know when it began. You know, I'm sure that archaeology studies all these things and will give us some guesstimates as to when there's the first evidence of... of uh, sacrifice of animals and sacrifice of other stuff, it very, very much predates anything that's in what we can, can consider to be the actual history of the Jewish people. That, that history really begins with the story of God coming to Abraham. This whole section of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, are considered to be the prehistory. 
And remember, that doesn't mean that it's not true, but prehistorical means before anybody started writing and telling stories, per se. And so we don't really know, although sacrifice has been part of pretty much every version of human religion and still is very much, right? There's something in us that says we got to do something to pay for our sin or to prove to God how much we love Him or all those different kinds of things going on. And there's some of this in here. As the story is told, it is, it is important to note that, you know, here one of the very first stories involves humanity trying to do something, wanting to do something, maybe some of us more than others, <laughs> um, to have some version of a relationship with God. Uh, and that storyline that, that story of sacrifice goes, of course, throughout the whole Scripture until the point where we have what Christians consider to be Jesus' self-sacrifice, God's self-sacrifice on the cross. And a lot of the world can't talk about sacrifice anymore, which is unfortunate because there's so much to say in that that is very positive, very important, very meaningful. Yes. Okay. Over here to Susan. So what we're saying is had Cain, instead of giving um, something from his farming, if he had gone out and perhaps uh, taken his life in his hands and found an animal to sacrifice, it probably would have meant more. Well, I don't think we can go that far. That, that's a logical thought. And I, 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 encourage, I encourage everyone, think your thoughts all the way through to the end and then step them back and see what's going on. Um, there's really nothing in the story as it plays out that says an animal sacrifice is more pleasing to God than a, than a, than a plant sacrifice. Even though, of course, an animal sacrifice costs more, right? Uh, you're... you're your firstborn perfect calf or sheep is in a sense much more valuable than a couple of bushels of wheat. We understand that. But how about a thousand bushes of bushels of wheat versus one tiny little sparrow? So you just can't, that gets it way too, okay? And that makes sense though. That, I'm glad you asked that question. These are the things that we bring to scripture as we engage with it. Now, as we go on, let's go on for just a moment here. Okay, the, what is the focus of the story? You, you have more words and more, more conversation in this story, not about the fact that God accepts one and doesn't accept the other, but most of the story is about what Cain does with this fact, that life has not gone his way. Now, God says to Cain, he said, what are you angry about? You know, if you've done well, then everything's going to be fine. There is certainly a shadow there, an echo there of something that would say Cain didn't really bring to God what, what he could have brought to God, or something was not right. One of you said something was not exactly right in Cain's heart. Okay, whatever it was, as the story plays out, it's very clear that something is not right in Cain's heart, because what is Cain's response to life itself? to the craziness, the unpredictability, the seeming uh, uh, unfairness of life. He gets angry. And then what does he do with his anger? Kills his brother. Kills his brother. We know that part of the story. Why is that such a big deal? Why is killing another human being such a big deal? 
It seems like an obvious question, but I want to hear the answer. Let's get, okay, we got hands going. Sorry, you mic people are going to get a workout today. Yeah, you've already got 2,000 steps. This is great. Okay, we'll go here to Carol. Mainly because God created man, not man creating. There we go. That's human beings taking something away that God created. It's not ours to take in some sense, right? Yeah, pretty important sense. Yes, over here. Did we have, no, we're good there? Yeah, so here's one way to look at this. We have the story of creation. God makes everything. God makes humanity. He says, this is the best thing I've done. And the first thing that the second generation of human beings does is to negate what God has done. This is partly a conversation about sin. Not just the sin of anger that leads to the sin of murder, but it's a commentary about all sin. As the story, there's very little material here, really, when you look at it. I mean, you could, you could put, you know, the, the book of Genesis, we think of it as a long book, and oh my heavens, it's going to take me a whole hour to read, and then we'll sit there for six hours and read some stupid murder mystery and only get half of the way through it, right? Okay, there's very little text here. And so we have to, to understand what's important. God creates humanity. We decreate humanity. We, this is in some sense the fundamental sin, right? We undo what God has done. I think, I think you can look at every single sin that you can imagine and you can identify it as undoing what God has done, what God wants. Does that make sense to you? That's the sin that's there. That's the sin that's there. So Cain undoes what God has done. And what's the result? Let's talk about, think about that for a second. Give me some answers. What is the result of Cain's murder of Abel? Good. Okay, let's go here. to. <clears throat> I think you already answered it. I was going to say that because he committed another sin, he had the sin of being... Um, Anger, jealousy, but then he committed another sin, which was murder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so, so let's think about this. The, the result of how Cain deals with a situation, first of all, is to become angry, okay? In some sense, this is a commentary on anger. Has anybody here ever been angry? Is anybody angry right now? Uh, Okay, good. I don't have to duck, right? Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, I say to you, the law says to you, you should not murder. I say to you that if you are angry, you have committed murder, right? What is Jesus saying in that? Jesus is talking about the, the danger of anger. Not that sometimes our anger doesn't seem to have a righteous source, right? You know, a, a person is beating a helpless child. You get angry at the one who's doing the beating. We understand that. There's a lot more to talk about. But then the question is, what do we, what do, we do with our anger, right? Now, what is the consequence? Cain gets angry. Cain kills Abel. But then what happens after that? Yes. Well, he has to pay the consequences. Right here. Hold it right here. He has here. to pay the consequences. That God there we are. has decided. There we are. So let's talk about what are the consequences. What are the consequences? The first consequence is that 
Cain's life gets worse, right? God says to Cain, the the ground is no longer going to produce for you as the result of your work what it would have produced for you. You're going to wander. You're going to be set apart. Your life is going to get worse. I think it's important that we probably don't focus too much on the specifics of exactly what happens with Cain, but in general terms, Cain's life gets worse when Cain contradicts what God's plan is for him and what God's plan has been for Abel. Okay? Cain's life gets worse. There is a consequence, sometimes a huge consequence, to our sin. There's a consequence for Abel, (laughs) obviously. There also is a consequence for Cain. Now, what is Cain's response to that first consequence? Woe is me. I've messed up my life. And somebody might kill me. Right? Cain realizes that what he has done could also be done to him. Do unto others before they undo you. Have you heard that rule? Have you heard that rule? No. You've heard do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The twist in that, do unto others before they undo you. We understand that what we are capable of doing against others is also possible for us. And Cain fears that. Fear has been brought into Cain's life. Misery, agony, suffering, right? Now, I find it interesting in this story, never once does Cain say to God, I'm really sorry, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry for my brother. Why did I? Again, there's not much detail in this, but can you imagine the, the feeling that's going on inside Cain? Um, I won't ask anybody in this room to answer this question except in your heart. Have any of you ever killed someone? Okay. Um, I know lots of people that have killed other people, um, sometimes on purpose, primarily in warfare. There's a whole other conversation there. Sometimes uh, purely by accident. I had an elder in our church uh, back in Albuquerque uh, who was driving the speed limit down a street one night, um, and a fellow stepped out in front of him, and he killed him. And that man, not the one who was dead, obviously his life was different, but the one who killed completely by accident, no fault, if you will, of his own, was forever changed. And, and, and you find that in, in, in people who have their heads screwed on pretty straight, that the act of killing someone else does violence against the one who does the killing as well. And it's called, these days, um, it's called moral injury. All of you, most of you know Margaret Kibben, uh, our good friend who was the Navy chaplain. She's done a lot of work in this area of, of talking about the injury that is done to you when you do something that you know is fundamentally bad or wrong to someone else, even when you do it by accident. So think of the turmoil that, that, that Cain is left with. I'm not necessarily arguing that it is wrong always to kill someone else. We should have the conversation. We don't have time right now to have the conversation about about killing versus murder, okay? I think I've said here before that I think the correct moral choice when you have an opportunity to stop someone from killing someone else, 
the correct moral choice is to kill that person if that's what you absolutely have to do. But that does not say that you're going to feel good about that fact, that you've had to do that. So Cain is, is filled with turmoil, with agony, with, with all that stuff that probably only someone who has ever killed someone else can actually be in touch with. And so the consequence is that Cain is removed from the blessed life that God had planned for him. But what's the next consequence? Cain says, somebody could kill me. And what does God do? God protects him. That's exactly right. God says, no, I'm not going to let them kill you. I'm going to put my mark on you. No clue what that is. I'm going to put my mark on you. And I'm going to send you away to the land of Nod. Right? God does not end Cain's existence. Right? In some versions of the law, what would be the just thing to do here? Cain killed Abel, therefore Cain should die. Right? But that's not what God does. Comment. Okay, now, my question is, did God put the mark there to protect him, or did God want him to suffer and not be killed? In other words, that's an easy way out. Someone kills him, and he doesn't have to suffer for mm -hmm. the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. So did God do that to protect him or to make him suffer more? Yeah, fantastic question. Here's some ways to think about that. In some sense, we would say, and I would agree with you, that simply to kill Cain would be more merciful to Cain than to let him live the rest of his life suffering. However, if in killing Cain, Cain goes to hell, then Cain just goes into hell quicker than if he would have had he lived a long life. So uh, that's not a comment necessarily on hell, but, but we cannot necessarily say, even though that's one of our first responses, and I would agree with that, we cannot necessarily say that God was punishing Cain by keeping him alive, okay? So what is another possibility? There is another possibility for what God was doing in protecting Cain, okay? I saw this hand first, and then get a mic over here if you want. There we go, go. Okay, um, God is giving him a chance to repent. Okay, okay, that's the other possibility in some sense. God was saying, you deserve not to have life anymore. But what I'm giving you is a second chance. A second chance. Wouldn't you love to know what happened in the rest of Cain's life? Right? Some of you can write a book about that. Yes. So in partly what she said, he's also, God is also giving him the opportunity to redeem himself, redemption, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, the, in his future life to take, to learn what he has done that was wrong mm -hmm. and to make things better and maybe more to listen more to God and do more of his will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Redem redemption. Yeah, redemption, redemption. In this story, you see reflected in a sense all the rest of the story of the Scripture. You see on the one hand that God is a God of justice. There is a consequence to our sin. 
something bad happens when we sin because we are, we are count, counteracting, contradicting, decreating what God has created. And in a sense, that's just the nature of creation itself. It's not that God wants us to suffer. It's that we bring our own suffering upon us. So there's the justice of God in that Cain is removed from this place where he can be completely blessed. He has to go off to the land of Nod, you know, wherever that is. There's no comment about that. On the other hand, and if in your theological conversation you never can get to on the other hand, then I would encourage you to try to get there because there's always another hand. On the other hand, God doesn't kill Cain. God could, instead of, instead of uh, having Cain suffer for a lifetime, God could have simply said, Cain, you will not exist anymore. Now, we could say that would be painless, but wouldn't that also be tragic? Do, do you like to consider the possibility of not existing? Okay, so in Cain's continued existence, there is an expression of grace. There's justice, there's grace. You messed up really bad, but you have another chance. Yes, Trudy. Here's another, on the other hand. Sure. Letting him live is not so much a warning to other people, but, hey, look, Cain killed somebody and he didn't die. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can get by with that also. That's true. That's true. Uh, a lot of this story leads us into many possibilities, and then we have to evaluate what those possibilities are. Oh, I got away with it once. I can get away with it again. The Apostle Paul speaks about that very, very issue in the letter to the Romans when he says, shall we presume on God's grace? You know, our, our sin has given God an opportunity to demonstrate how gracious and loving and forgiving He is, and, and that's true. And so where some people take that is to say, well, I'm just going to do even more and even worse, and it'll make God look even better. And Paul points out the obvious absurdity of that response when he, he continues the conversation to say, no, 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 no. He says, if you truly have understood what God has done for you and repented of that evil, then you will seek to do your very best never to do that again. And so the one who says, I'm going to, it's called presuming upon God's grace. You know, I'm going to get away with it again because God has to forgive me. There is never anything in Scripture that says that God has to do what you think He has to do. God doesn't have to forgive you. That possibility exists. We have to admit that possibility. We believe that God does forgive. On the other hand, the Scriptures are full of plenty of examples that sometimes God says, you're done. And I know the world doesn't like to look at that. People do not like to think of God as ever having the privilege of being God. <laughs> you know, God should never, never punish anybody. Everybody's going to heaven. Okay, I understand that. Usually people will talk about that and push that point with me until I bring up Adolf Hitler. And then they say, oh, well, that's a special circumstance. No, you can't say that, <laughs> right? So, yes, that is, again, another logical thought, another, another way to take this that we have to look at very, very carefully. Now, did Cain never sin again? Of course Cain sinned again. 
It's not saying that we don't sin again, but there's a very clear message in Scripture that we are called to, to do our best to get better and then pray that God gives us the ability to get better <laughs> and to do better. Yes, back here. Jack, what happens when, I mean, we're all children of God, and then there's the chosen people, and then there's people that God chooses to be in his, with him? Mm -hmm. Was Cain maybe not one of those chosen people? I, I'm just thinking out loud. Sure, sure, yeah. Very good questioning, very good questioning. In the scripture, when we say that God chooses, okay, we take that to mean that God chooses you and not you, and the way when we choose someone, we're, we're saying, I like you better. You're going to get more. You're a better person, whatever. I choose you for the basketball team. I don't choose you, right? That's not what being chosen by God means in the Scripture. God chose the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, right? The family of Abraham, the chosen people, okay? He chose them to use as an example and a sample to everybody else. And because of their being chosen, they understood that they probably suffered more than everybody else. It is not necessarily a wise thing to ask God to choose you. Because more often than not, what happens in the biblical story is that when God chooses you, He has a job for you. And that job does not involve being richer, prettier, smarter, more attractive, any of that stuff. It means service and sacrifice. And so when God chooses you, God chooses to use your life for service and sacrifice. There's a long conversation to be had about, did God know that Cain was going to kill Abel? We can't, we, you know, this story doesn't answer that question. The Bible, in some sense, never answers that question. Did God know that Judas was going to, to, to betray Jesus? Did God know that Pharaoh was going to enslave the, the Hebrew tribes, all of that stuff? You can say, in some sense, and the Scripture does say this at one point, uh, especially talking about Pharaoh, God chose Pharaoh to be a bad guy so that eventually the Hebrew slaves would leave. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's a lot of conversation to be had about that. But coming back to the chosen question, being chosen by God does not mean that you are special, that you are wonderful, that God has a magnificent plan for your life, any of that. It means that God does have a plan for your life that usually involves suffering and sacrifice. And people often don't, don't respond to God. Uh, you know, uh, What's his name? The guy in the whale, Jonah. Um, you know, God chose Jonah over and over and over again, and Jonah refused over and over and over again until God made an offer that Jonah couldn't refuse, and Jonah went and did what God told him to do, and lo and behold, the people repented, and everything was good with them, and Jonah was ticked off about it because he wanted God to destroy the people. So, uh, we're messed up. <laughs> we're messed up. Let's keep going for just a minute, and then we are going to finish with this. So God places his mark on Cain. Cain is guilty, if you will. We all have the mark of Cain, if you will. But God continues the relationship. Genesis is very concerned. The whole Bible is very concerned about our relationship with God. Remember that, that vertical relationship, us and God, that then issues forth in horizontal relationship. Cain ended all possibility of future relationship with his brother when he killed his brother. 
One of my big things in life is that there is nothing worth ending a relationship for. Sometimes a relationship needs to be changed to the extent that for all practical purposes, it is over. But that's in the most extreme circumstances. 99.9% of the time, there's nothing worth ending a relationship over because I say that because that's how God treats us. There was nothing worth ending the relationship over. In fact, it, the relationship is so important to God that God kills himself instead of killing us. It's one way to look at the cross, right? And it should issue forth then that knowledge of God and God's grace calls forth from us that same grace and accountability and justice, right? What if God had just let Cain keep on killing people and never said, no, Cain? God said no in no uncertain terms to Cain, right? That's a possibility of Cain's redemption, is to know that what he has done is not right. It is not God's plan. And so that's what God calls forth from us. So ending on this idea that the story is about Cain and what Cain does with his life. Life will present to all of us, already has, is now, and forevermore shall be, <laughs> presenting to us opportunities either to act the way God created us to act or something else. And the something else usually is not good. In fact, if it's not what God created, it is not good. There's lots of good options sometimes, not necessarily just one, but there's where this story hits you. What am I going to do based on what is in my life? Am I going to react and act in the way that God created me to act? Or am I going to do something different? It's not always easy to tell what that is. There's a lot that has to be sorted out. God never promised you a simple life. God promised you a rich and beautiful and abundant life that in some sense is incredibly simple, but generally is amazingly complicated. Does anybody want to say something else? That's good, because we're done. Pray with me. Thank you, God, for our time together. Help us to continue to learn from your word. Help us to continue to offer ourselves to you with as pure a heart as we can muster, and then take what we cannot do and redeem it and transform it and make it holy and righteous and good for your sake and for the sake of loving others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, my children.